This podcast is supported by our friends at the LaGrange Art League. We are so excited to get in on the fun with them as they celebrate 90 years in small ways this holiday season. Wow, 90 years? That's a lot of years and definitely worth celebrating. Come shop every Tuesday and Thursday from 10 to 5 beginning November 1st through December 28th right here in our hometown, LaGrange, Illinois. I love little hometown holiday fun. Same. This cozy little holiday market will be selling an array of artisanal finds made by local creators. There will be photography, ornaments, paintings, jewelry, our cozy AF candle line, and so much more. Oh, I am totally hitting this up. Such great options for gifts and stocking stuffers. Listener, if you too want to check some gifts off of your holiday shopping list, head to www.lagrangeartleague.org for all of the details and see you there. This episode is supported by our friends at The Upbeat Life, a smoothie shop where quality ingredients are most important. The Upbeat Life is all about keeping it real. And they use everything from organic fruits and veggies to superfoods like spirulina and manuka honey. Don't want a smoothie? Try an acai bowl. They are made with no added sugar and you can choose from unlimited toppings such as a vegan and keto granola, organic fruit, shredded coconut, dark chocolate, goji berries, and more. Personally, I'm a smoothie girl myself. The blue banana gives me all the protein my body craves after a good workout and it achieves high marks for flavor. It is my current addiction. If you too are looking to pick up a new habit that's actually good for you, swing by The Upbeat Life, where they'll feed your body and your soul the good stuff. And when you do, be sure to tell them the Sister Project sent you. And use our code, BEATTHECROWD, for 10% off of your next order. For more information on The Upbeat Life, head to the link in our show notes. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Cozy Conversations with the Sister Project. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michelle. And we're so excited you stopped by for a visit. Come on in. Yeah, make yourself at home. We're two Midwestern sisters who love a good old-fashioned conversation and enjoy sharing our life experiences with one another and you. Consider this your one-stop shop for cozy, mindful well-being, along with some entertainment and lots of wheezy laughing. Oh, you bet there'll be a lot of that going around. (laughs) Our goal is to live our coziest life and inspire you to do the same because the truth is, we think it's good for your mind and your body. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, let's get cozy. Well, hello there, everyone, and welcome back to Cozy Conversations with the Sister Project. I'm your host, Lauren, joined by my co-host and sister Mm. from the same Mr. Michelle. The steady, your steady, your steady steady right-hand woman. You never, you never go away. You never stray. I don't. I never stray. Nor do you. Let's be honest. Nor do you. Why would we stray from one another? It's true. It's true. Why would we do that? Y'all, we (laughs) hope you are having a cozy holiday season. You know, today we have a really, really incredible guest joining us today um, to discuss one of our favorite topics, which happens to be women's mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, Michelle and I have shared our fair share of um, struggles with our mental health for me personally was postpartum. Michelle, you've shared when, you know, like grieving and during grieving, moms, anxiety, during I mean, mom's illness. Yeah. Yep. Afterwards. Um, so we really thought it'd be a wonderful idea to join forces with our partner, Meridian Psychiatric Partners, 
and have a guest from over yonder join us to talk about an expert to talk about women's mental health. So joining us today is board certified psychiatrist and the medical director of Meridian's Reproductive Psychiatry and Wellness Division, Dr. Aparna Chatterjee. Mm. And first, I just want to say the moment I met her, I felt that it's, she's super warm and welcoming. And I knew that we were just going to kind of just dive into a bucket of knowledge. With Lauren, her. that's what I was going to say. When I met her, I was lucky enough to meet her at like a, a women's yeah, like event. in person. For, yes. And when we got to talking, I'm like, okay, at, this yeah. is a good comment. You are fun. We connect and I'm like, we need to bring this to the, yeah. to the platform. And exceptionally knowledgeable mm-hmm. in a area that Michelle and I are exceptionally passionate about, but we don't know all of the things at all. So what Dr. Parna Chatterjee helped us understand a little bit more about was um, the mental health and wellness revolving around postpartum, Mm -hmm. um, those who are trying to conceive and get pregnant. Um, And then I think the most fascinating part of the conversation was the difference between perimenopause and menopause. Like I learned, my mind was blown. blown Head popped off the neck during that convo. Yeah. So listener, I think that you're rethinking that you're really going to get a lot out of this conversation Mm -hmm. and listen deeply because there's a lot of messaging here. If you are listening to your gut and you're like, you know what? I think it's time for me to explore some ways to, you know, benefit my mental health. I really want you to tune in and hear the messaging here and listen to your own body and mind and see what you're going through. And if there is space um, for help and if there is need for help. And that's the thing that we always want to encourage people to do here at the Sister Project is to get the help you need. Like because I just there's want to no say, freaking point in suffering. Help and also education. Like there's so much Knowledge that we power. don't know, you know, as we just so said. True. Yeah. You guys are going to love this conversation. We are exceptionally grateful to mm-hmm. the folks over at Meridian Psychiatric Partners and especially Dr. Chatterjee, who you will see us just refer to her as a Parna because <laughs> that's just we're how we were introduced to her we're and friends. whatnot. Um, but she is a wealth of knowledge and we are super grateful that she took the time out of this holiday season to join us on the podcast, especially during a moment in time when we're all really stressed out. We're kind of meeting our threshold or our, our breaking point. Mm-hmm. We just want to make sure that you all are taking optimal care of yourselves and your mental health. So please do us a favor, enjoy this conversation, look further into Meridian Psychiatric Partners if need be, and we love y'all and happy holidays. I have to say, I had an incredible, (laughs) I went and did a strength class workout this morning, and um, that really got me uh, warmed up and ready to go. I already feel the lactic acid setting in. (laughs) will not be able to walk down the stairs to get the awesome. laundry. <laughs> Good luck with that. Good luck. Okay. Oh my God. So we'll pop in Aparna. Um, let me just get me. And if you see me looking over here, this is where my notes are. So apologies for that. Yeah, she's not checking Instagram. Nope, I'm uh, not. That would be extra <laughs> rude. Okay. Okay. Aparna, so Aparna, are you at home or are you at the office? I'm home. Nice. Yes. Nice. Are there so no any, one else is here. Oh, no one else is there. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Okay, nice. well, great. We'll we'll start rolling into this. Um, first, we wanted to thank you, Aparna, for joining us on Cozy Conversations. One of our favorite topics that we love talking about and our listeners love hearing about is women's health, especially mm-hmm. mental health, 
reproductive health, um, perimenopause, menopause. Uh, we don't really know what we're talking about when we're talking about it. I like to find news articles and then <laughs> regurgitate them for our listeners. So it is a real treat having someone who is actually an expert in the field joining us today. Um, Aparna, thank you for being here. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm excited that it's a Friday. And yeah, I'm really, really honored to be here. You guys have a really um, cool platform. So Thank you. And thanks for being here. Um, We wanted to kick things off a little bit by learning a little bit more about you and of course the reproductive division. So I don't mess this up the reproductive psychiatry division at at Meridian. But when we, when I was doing a little bit of investigation work, because I like to do that before we meet with our people, um, I saw that you were, you, you are a board certified psychiatrist and you studied at Northwestern. You studied women's repro- reproductive health. How did you, why and how did you get into that? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, you know, so for people who don't maybe know the path of like becoming a psychiatrist, like went to college, medical school, and then, um, really liked mental health and psychiatry and so pursued a residency in general psychiatry, which is where I was for, at Northwestern. And then while I was a resident, which is like a four-year program, um, one of the electives I had done was with Dr. Crystal Clark, who is kind of a world-renowned expert in um, reproductive mental health and women's wellness and women's mental health and um, just truly fell in love with what she does. Um it's kind of remarkable to see how impactful you can be um, by supporting, validating, and offering treatment options, right, during mm. some of these reproductive phases, whether that's mm-hmm. through the premenstrual time, certainly through the peripartum, so pregnancy and postpartum, and um, through perimenopause and, and post. And so I really just was so impressed by the development of relationships you can have with your patients um, and yeah, decided to do the fellowship in it. And I'm so, so thankful for that. Well, so are we, by the way. Yeah, I was going to say, and so are all of us gals who have all of these things that go on that really we have no idea what is happening and why. So, so get true. ready. We have questions. It's so true. <laughs> well, it's so true because I mean, I'm kind of jumping into perimenopause and menopause. I don't even know where I fall on like the timeline, especially just having had a baby. Well, not just having had, you know, like, almost a year and a half ago, but I feel like there's such like a, there's a stigma to perimenopause and menopause. You see, you hear hot flashes, you hear about hot flashes, you hear about like lowered libido, you hear about it being a horrible time in a woman's life. Vaginal is, dryness. Vaginal, yeah, you hear about all these things. Yeah. Um, also, you hear about you know women going crazy during menopause, which I, I I hate hearing that because it's almost like we're waiting for that moment in life to go crazy, go through menopause, and then come back around again. Well, you're. I feel like we're like it's almost like you lead with fear. Like yes. it's like it's scary because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like it's no fun and scary. Aparna, what have you noticed about like patients or just it, 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 this reproductive psychiatry as a whole? Now that there is a division at Meridian, um, what have you noticed about women coming and seeking help for their mental health? I really, truly love that question. You know, it's interesting. When I first started at Meridian, um, I was one of the only like especially new uh, psychiatrists who was specialized in this field. And so in a great way, had like a lot of access and, op- and openings and availability to, to see women through different reproductive phases. 
And a lot of the people that started working with me, it was kind of by luck, right? Like they had just heard about Meridian as a practice and, Mm -hmm. you know, were referred. And then when they met with our intake, our intake was like, oh, are you considering um, getting pregnant or are you postpartum? Or, you know, they'll ask some of those screening questions for reproductive mental health. And a lot of people would be like, oh, actually, yeah, I didn't even know that that was a specialized field or something to consider. Um, mm-hmm. But since then, I do feel like it just, it's like the community with like women or people going through different reproductive phases is really, really, really beautiful. And like people are wanting to share, you know? Mm-hmm. And so honestly, even in just like the few years that I've been in attending Emory and like things have shifted so much in terms of um, people telling their friends, telling their therapists, like it's just amazing, like how much um, even just like one person can have an impact on like a community. And so then to have expanded into this huge division, like I personally am seeing so many more women now that are now like new patients to me come in being like, I'm seeking their services. Like I had heard about this and I think that's awesome. You know, I think there's more and more conversation about this certainly on social media, which does not hurt. Um, but yeah, it does feel like a lot less stigmatized and, I have always been a really big believer that there's all these tropes about women, you know, about being crazy or being uh-huh. irritable or uh-huh. um, being neurotic and Anxious, all of it. Yes. And I think that a lot of that comes from like a very misguided lack of understanding of yeah. first of all, who we are, but also like the amount of multiple different hormonal like cycles and phases we go through. Um not to mention just like, I think, unfortunately, there's still a lot of gender stereotype and, and Mm -hmm. tradition and Mm -hmm. like the mental load and like what we have to carry. And so um, it's just, it's a great, great population to work in. And I think a lot of women feel seen, like, I think a lot of people are like, I just assumed I needed to feel this way. I had to feel this bad. Like, Mm -hmm. um, and that's just not true. (laughs) You touched on something that we wanted to ask you about a little bit, because we know about the hormonal shifts that we have as like young women, you know, you get your period. And then depending on if you do have a child, you go through that shift of um, prenatal and then postpartum. And then of course being pregnant and then postpartum, then you go through perimenopause and then menopause. Is that it? Or is there something else that we don't know about? (laughs) No, that, those are like the three, those are like the three big ones. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. I actually was a little nervous that there might be more that we don't know about. I know. I was like, what is there one that we really haven't heard of? Please. No. (laughs) And in regards to the latter two, when do women usually, or is it so diverse that it's hard to pinpoint an age do women start experiencing perimenopause and menopause symptom signs? And also, this is a loaded question, but what the hell is the difference between perimenopause and menopause? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. So I average age for perimenopause to start presenting is usually like mid 40s, obviously. For peri- from like, perimenopause, mid 40s. Perimenopause, yeah. So Michelle, that's you. That's you, yeah. Michelle. Yeah, yep. <laughs> just moments away from turning 46. Yeah, you are like our target. Can I, okay, can I ask you a question? What are we, like, what are, what, when you say start presenting itself, how would, peri- how does perimenopause present itself? 
Yeah. So that's a really good question. So usually, I mean, the first symptom tends to be irregular menses or irregular, okay. you know, cycles. Um, and so essentially like for maybe several months, you may not have a period, but then it'll return, um, for a couple months and then again, go and in the per and the, what perimenopause is, is essentially like our body is now transitioning to, um, like our, the follicles in our ovaries, like no longer, producing or releasing eggs so that like we're no longer able to be fertile, um, mm-hmm. essentially. And so the reason why perimenopause can be so disruptive to like our mind and body is because obviously that is a really big hormonal shift, um, where, you know, eggs, a big part of like that whole process is producing hormones like estrogen and progesterone. Mm-hmm. And so like, as you have a declining amount of hormones, then that sends a really interesting feedback loop to, an area in the brain that like, is like trying to actually get your body to produce more estrogen, but your body is like transitioning wow, to a new phase. That's yeah. Very and so, interesting. Okay. And that can last three to five years. I think that is the hard part. Okay. Um, so are you saying that it seems like the real tumultuous part of this menopause that we know just yeah. because perimenopause to me is a newer term is yeah. perimenopause actually the struggle. And then you yes. kind of write, okay. I'm just trying yeah, to get and a lot of evidence right. supports that. A lot of clinicians agree with that. So the harder part of, you know, there's like a three-part stage when we think of menopause, it's perimenopause, menopause, and then postmenopause. Um, okay. The hardest part is that perimenopause. So that's okay. Yeah, that's such a huge misconception. Yeah, that's really good to know. It's like that, you know, you get over the, once you get over that hump, it's kind of like smooth sailing. I'm in yeah, menopause, I'm baby. I'm in menopause. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be. I mean, like, I mean, of course, like, occasionally, like, I mean, some people may have symptoms, but perimenopause get, yeah. but, hardest part. And yeah, I mean, it can last several years. And wow. what menopause is, is defined as like 12 months of not having a menses, right? And oh, so like, that's when that's what that is. You're considered. Yeah. Okay. And then like, once you've gotten through that year, like that's when you're considered post-menopause. Oh, and I've been wow. doing a lot of reading and like seeing like TikToks about people being like after menopause, I'm like a new woman. Feel like a new life. Feeling life. Yeah. It kind of sounds like the same, but totally different, but like the postpartum phase. Like for me, it took like, I jokingly kind of not jokingly said like 13 to 14 months. And I felt like I got my groove back energy, some looks, (laughs) some, you know, regularity in my, my mind and my life. Okay. So then after menopause, now a a couple of those other symptoms I wanted to ask you about, like, again, we bring up the hot flashes because you hear about that. I've been hearing about hot flashes since I can have, since I was able to hear. Since our parents, since our, we've heard about hot flashes (laughs) since our parents would go and have thermostat wars and my mom (laughs) would turn it down and my dad would turn it up because we were all like this and she was doing this. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Does that present more or less in perimenopause? Yeah. So hot flash. So, right. So like the first symptom of perimenopause tends to be that irregularity in menses, but then other really common symptoms are things like hot flashes, night sweats, irritability, mood or anxiety disruption, um, you know, changes in sleep or insomnia are probably like the most common symptoms. Um, and I would say a lot of those tend to come in perimenopause, which can be several years. So that's, that's, a long time. That is a long time. How do you and your colleagues help treat women who are going through perimenopause? And when it comes to like mental health, where does that play a role? Mm-hmm. I know you just mentioned like anxiety and disruptive sleeping and whatnot. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, specifically from a mental health perspective, the perimenopausal period is a higher risk period for disruption to mood, so depression, as well as anxiety, um, which can impact irritability. And so that's why those are very common potential symptoms that can happen. And I, and I do like for, for people to be aware of that, because often this is happening, typically when somebody is maybe like in a different part of their life in a way that like they've accomplished a lot, right. And like had children and may have done a lot of their career. And so it can feel very disruptive. Um, and I've seen really, really high functioning women who had to take time off from work just from like the level of, um, impairment they were experiencing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what we can do is certainly like help diagnose or even just validate some of those symptoms and provide Mm -hmm. some, you know, counseling around that. And then from a treatment perspective, I mean, like, pretty standard antidepressants like SSRIs have been well studied and and certainly recommended. I will say in my experience, I think that like for some people, things like SSRIs or just working with a psychiatrist. Can you you explain SSRIs? Because I've heard it a lot. Something, go ahead, you take it away. No, I apologize. I no, don't be. I, because I've heard people talk about it. I'm like, I'm trying to, I've tried to learn, but I want, you are here to educate all of us. No, (laughs) please. Um, (laughs) So when we think about treating depression and anxiety, the gold standard of treatment and like the general population are called SSRIs, which stands for selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Um, So essentially what these medications do is they keep serotonin alive longer um, in like the synaptic clefts. And we have seen that there seems to be a link or relationship between serotonin as well as like regulation of mood and anxiety. Um, And so it's a pretty standard treatment used. And, but we've studied it also very much in a lot of reproductive phases. So we've actually studied it in treatment for like PMDD, which is like premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Mm-hmm. We've studied it a lot in the peripartum. So like through a pregnancy and, and postpartum. And then we've actually studied it um, a decent amount as well in like perimenopause. Mm-hmm. And so, and, you know, there's a lot of questions about like why these phases may impact mood and anxiety. And, you know, there is some thought that like, estrogen actually is a really important factor to maintaining like serotonin levels mm-hmm. and norepinephrine levels. And so as that is declining, particularly through like perimenopause, like that is like one of many theories that that's postulated as to why like that is such a disruptive time to our mood mm-hmm. and our anxiety. Um, and so that's why like SSRIs are considered like part of a treatment for that. And there's, you know, I always tell people this, like, that's the gold standard or like maybe where we would start, but there's some people that don't benefit from SSRIs. Like we tried and it doesn't work. And so there's other classes of antidepressants. So, you know, I always am really clear to say like, it, you're not pigeonholed to like one med or one class of meds, but um, it's hard to kind of get through everything, obviously in like a talk, but, um, but that helps me understand that more, especially yeah. about the blocking and the serotonin. Thank you for yeah, that. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. Is the idea that as the body like navigates the, the process, let's say the perimenopause menopause phase that, um, and I imagine, like you said, it's not a one size fits all solution. Everybody needs or requires a different form of treatment, but is the idea that the like body will actually level off when everything is, is kind of run its course and then is medication treatment something that is long-term? Is it more short-term? Does it depend? Is it just through perimenopause? Excellent question. That's such a good question. I personally think, you know, if someone benefits from medication, likely to continue it through like that perimenopause phase, right? Like as we're going through the adjustment and even maybe through like parts of just achieving menopause, 
I think it depends on someone's history. Like if someone really doesn't have a strong history with like generalized anxiety or recurrent episodes of depression, it's like very reasonable to come off of Mm. medication kind of once we've gone through their transition. And I actually bring that a lot up with patients that I meet during pregnancy and postpartum because understandably that is like a really, really hard time. It's a vulnerable Mm -hmm. time from like a biologic and hormonal perspective. It's a huge transition. And I meet a lot of people who are understandably intimidated to meet someone like me because they're just like, I've never been on meds. I'm, I don't want to be on this forever. And you know, like what are the possibilities? And I always say like, you know, if we start meds and we do well, like typically a recommendation is to stay on it about a year postpartum because clinically, like that's what we really think about as postpartum. And then it just depends after that, right? Like, I think it's interesting. I do think like these different phases, whether it's the PMDD, like that premenstrual time, the peripartum or perimenopause, like it brings people to care for different reasons. Um, But it's kind of amazing to see like when you work with some individuals, like people will just say, you know, I was kind of withstanding some of these hard symptoms just because I could. And like, that was just like how I dealt to cope with it. And Mm -hmm. being on medication has really unlocked like, um, an ability in me to have more capacity, more patience, you yeah. know, better, sleep better, have better relationships. Yeah. Yes. And like, you know, I don't think I realized how much this was impacting me. And the reason I came to care and like these times is because it was just especially a vulnerable time. Right. Yeah. And like, you know, especially when you have young kids, like you're, everything is constricted. And so it's like actually really difficult to engage in coping skills. Like, yeah. you know, you can't just go on a run whenever you want, like, right. Like things that like you may have done historically. Absolutely. And, um, I have a lot of patients who certainly come to me. I would say the majority of people who are like new to being on medications, well, that's their number one question is like, when can I come off of this? And I'm always like, we will do whatever you want. But like, mm-hmm. typically, like if you're doing well, like let's try your postpartum you know, in that phase. And, but I'll tell people, I will say like a majority of those patients, once we get to a year postpartum, like how they feel and they yeah. end up staying on medications, but that's completely their choice. You okay. know? I would um, totally, I would totally have the same question or I, I would probably make the same yeah. statement. Oh, like, let's sure. fix this, but when can I come off at the same yeah. time? That's just how, yeah. But I can understand too, if you're thriving and you're feeling good and it's helping and amplifying your mental health, then why, why, why not think of it as a possibility to continue that? So we covered perimenopause a little bit. So once you get through this like middle, mid forties, is menopause considered around like the year, like 50 years of age? Okay. Yeah. Like that's the average age of when it's people the average. tend to achieve okay. menopause. Yeah. All right. And that is when you do a full year without your cycle and then you are your best self afterwards if you're feeling- Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> is there any truth to when people say like, well, you, you, can, you can pay attention to your mom's history and track yourself. Do people, is there any truth to like tracking your own cycle to how your parent, your mom's cycle went? Does that matter? Does that have any effect just on how you might, I'm just might, saying because like more in our sisters, our mom was kind of seemed like an average menopause yeah, age like lady. Yeah, for sure. I think so. Um, I don't know if that's been formally studied. Unfortunately, Uh like of these three stages, perimenopause has received the least attention, I would say, from like a research perspective. I think the entire perimenopause has received the least. That's what's crazy is that based on what you said at the very beginning of this conversation is that is the most tumultuous time mm-hmm. of menopause and it gets the least oh least- sorry i guess i meant like the menopause like comparing like premenstrual 
pregnancy and menopause, like menopause probably has gotten the least amount of um, oh, okay, got focus. It. Okay. So got I don't it. know if they've like it's actually no. identified, like looking at family history, but as someone who has like worked with a lot of patients, I have seen that track. Um, uh-huh. So I wouldn't be entirely surprised. I had a question in regards to treatment. And also, I think you said something about counseling. Do you do, does, if someone came, say I came there for even, I would consider coming for postpartum. I know mm-hmm. I'm a, a bit out of that, but I'm just, yes. we'll talk about that in a little bit. But if, um, do, do you pair counseling with treatment at Meridian or is it all psychiatry? Yeah, that's a great question. We have both. Oh, um, so yes, we have in like, so Meridian, just for people to know, is a pretty large practice. We have like 50 yes. plus total providers. Um, oh. And it's pretty evenly split between like people that are therapists and provide like talk therapy or support and then people that are prescribers. So mostly psychiatrists who um, can provide medication to kind of help supplement treatment. And so within our reproductive psychiatry division, we equivalently have like a pretty mixed group. But there's about 20 plus of us. And I would say it's about half and Just half for the like, reproductive? Just for reproductive. Yeah. And it's That's like, included, yeah. it's really, really great. We're you, very lucky. You um, are. Really and great. same yeah. with the women who are listening to this podcast or anyone that even comes by the fact that there's a whole division dedicated to yeah. women's mental health and wellness at Meridian is also mind blowing in a wonderful way. Um, yeah. because my thought yeah. here, yes. What Michelle? Well, I was just going to say, because how many times have you saw, I mean, have I sought treatment and needed, um, medication and was going to seek therapy and, you know, it was sort of like, you feel like it's a, there's a little bit of a disjointment there, yeah. the a- opportunity to be able to connect with all of these providers under one, one space is like yeah. actually like a dream come true. It is. But the other thing that I'm, I struggle with is how like after I go, you know, after I had Luna, so that was in July, you get these like kind of really, I don't know, the lack for better terms, like shitty follow-up appointments, like with your doctor. It's a quick two-weeker check-in, how you doing? And then a six-week check-in, how you doing? And I'm like, it's, it's I can't stu- even it's answer that question. Laughable. It is. And I can't it's even, ridiculous. it's hard to even answer that question. How are you doing? You're in the thick of it. You know? Yeah. I, I don't know. There, why, why aren't there like those three month, you know, checkups because right. a partner when, and we're going to switch gears a little bit, if that's okay, Michelle, did you have any other questions about perimenopause or menopause? Cause I thought maybe we can shift gears a little yeah, bit. No, let's too. shift. Let's shift. And we can always go back. If yeah. we, if we think of yeah. something. There's no rules here. Okay. <laughs> this is our show. Okay. We can do whatever we want. We'll fire ourselves if we have to. <laughs> um, so my question, because a partner, when we talked on the phone, like months ago, a few months ago about like postpartum, you brought up postpartum OCD and I was like, my mind was blown again because after I had Luna, I, of course I know postpartum depression and then I was struggling with some stuff and then it was addressed that probably it's postpartum anxiety. I'm like, oh my God, didn't even know that that was a Who thing. And Michelle, mm-hmm. I don't even know if you knew that. No. And I also reflected also- on my thoughts postpartum right. and they were anxious intrusive thoughts they right, were there but, but so, no no one talked didn't talk i just kind of like suffered like yeah, you suffered in silence yeah i that was just was trying to keep sad. two babies alive yep. at the same time and that's a lot and then after that apart i was telling you about like the intrusive thoughts that i was having and some of the struggles i had postpartum and you were like oh maybe post and you didn't diagnose me but you brought up um postpartum ocd again mind blown Who didn't, knew? no one freaking tells us anything and i'm so grateful you are here to tell us a little bit more about this can you, I don't know if it's even easy to do this, but is there any way you can differentiate the three or how, yeah, take it away. How does that work? 
<laughs> I love this question. It's like a really, really common conversation I have with the patients I work with. Um, because I agree, I think so in a great way, I think there is an evolving conversation about postpartum depression, right? I do think there's a little bit more awareness that this is something to pay attention for. Totally. I completely agree that the screening or the, blues, the baby, or the lamest name that she had the baby blues. I'm like, Listen, yeah, that's more than the blues. At baby. least they do <laughs> ask us, are, are you feeling okay? Like, I mean, is there, that's it. That's, are you right. wanting to hurt yourself? That's the yeah, only question. I didn't question. even get that. What? I don't even know if I got that. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. It's interesting you brought up the blues. So, cause I'll, I'm happy to talk about that very, a little bit too. So, you know, sure. there's a distinction between like what we call postpartum blues and then postpartum depression. Okay. So postpartum blues is something that can actually affect like 80% of women in the postpartum and it's wow. very hormonally driven. So it comes okay. from like that huge hormone crash from delivery. Um, and basically the first 10 to 14 days after delivery, a lot of women experience irritability, very tearful, um, feeling incredibly overwhelmed. Like a lot well, of it is understandable. All that makes sense though. <laughs> yes. Um, and what I do try to remind people of is even if like, let's say you actually are on treatment for depression, anxiety through your pregnancy, that doesn't mitigate risk for postpartum blues just because it's so hormonally driven. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Where we get really concerned about like postpartum depression or even postpartum anxiety, which I'll go on to like distinguish in a second, is really the persistence of symptoms past like two weeks. Um, you know, clinically, postpartum can be considered up to 12 months um, after delivery, which I think is really valuable. I think the highest risk time for like onset of symptoms tends to be the first three months. But I've actually met a number of women who like they really started presenting with symptoms at six months postpartum or nine months. And so I do think it's valuable for people to be aware of that um, just so that you again are not like, well, this can't be a postpartum. Right. <laughs> like it, I'm too far out. Um, and I, I will say this like, yes, clinically, like we, we circumscribe that postpartum period to 12 months, but I, as a mom myself, I'm like, m you know, motherhood, parenthood doesn't end. And like, mm -hmm. there's just reasonably like ongoing, like symptoms yeah. that we are happy to monitor and treat as you are balancing life. Um, mm -hmm with a kid. But in terms of distinguishing, like just what's depression versus anxiety versus OCD, um, you know, depression, we tend to think of it as a cluster of multiple symptoms, typically of feeling sad, low, not getting enjoyment out of things that typically would be enjoyable for you. So like, you know, meeting up with a friend for sure. coffee, um, watching a television show, you know, um, lower motivation, fatigue, disruption to appetite, whether that's like eating more or eating less disruption to sleep. So either being like really hypersomnolent, so like sleeping a lot or sleeping less. Okay. And then in really severe cases, like feeling hopeless, having thoughts of suicide. Yeah. So like having okay. that cluster of symptoms. And so that's postpartum depression. Yep. Yes. That Got would it. be like typically what we would see in a postpartum depression. That's a lot. Um, that's so sad. It's really sad. It's, it's, it's so super sad. sad, very treatable, but um, that's yeah, very hopeful. To that's amazing that. news. Yep. That's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Cause like, it is a very, sometimes there's that, those feelings of hopelessness or like, am I going to feel this way forever? Okay. So then, so, you know, and I mean? guilt for feeling that way. You just had a baby. Pain you should be so excited yes. and happy, but you don't, and you're not feeling cause there's a million things. Yeah. There's a million. And I like that you brought up the word guilt because in postpartum in specific, we tend to see guilt actually as a very 
common symptom in depression mm. and and shame. Like we see a lot of women totally. present with shame of like mm. not being a good enough mom, um, yeah. which is like very sad. So. And that's yeah. just going to drive that depression. I mean, if you can't get yeah. out of your own way and those thoughts are leading. Yeah. 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 Anxiety wise. So anxiety is a little bit different in that what it tends to be is dread, worrying, what we call like ruminating. So just constantly like refocusing on like the same thought. Um, in some cases, there's a term we use called catastrophizing. So it's like anytime a situation is presenting you is presented to you, you your mind automatically goes to like what's the worst. I've possible. had like cancer five times since I've had my yeah. baby. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but, health anxiety is a very, very common thing. <laughs> in particular I think um, that, is, that was a huge that's a huge struggle and I think yeah. that and it's so real now that I've talked to some more mom now that I am when you talk to more about this stuff and it is so common I have a friend yeah. who I was kind of embarrassed to share some of my thoughts and then she started sharing hers I'm like oh my god we're going through the same fucking thing mm. like this is insane yeah Oh yeah. It's so way it's more a, common than people realize. Yeah. It really is. So anxiety is much more, it sounds much more fearful. Yes. Anxiety is based in, is rooted in fear for sure. Okay. Um, and then, and can, the way it tends to manifest is insomnia is a huge one. So like if somebody is telling me I'm unable to sleep when baby is sleeping, despite how tired I am, because I'm either worried about baby about or that. checking on them. Like that is a very common symptom. Yep. I would say I didn't have that problem. Yeah. <laughs> Irritab- Couldn't keep my eyes open. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. Um, this is why I was walking like- around. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I totally sympathize. Um, <laughs> irritability is a really common one. So, you know, conflict with partner, which is like a lot of these things are within the realm. And, you know, just to be clear, I think that the the another high volume question that I get a lot from patients is like, what is like permissible, you know, like given right, that I'm right. going through this transition and like what is pathologic? And that's probably one of my favorite questions. And, you know, like happy to go go into those details maybe a little bit after this, but, um, you know, in general, I just look at functionality, right. I'm just like having conflict with your partner is a normal thing. Like even when you're not, um, pregnant or postpartum, but it's just looking at the number of times, the severity frequency, right. Like I think a lot of people get caught up in, especially in mental health and the fact that things are not as tangible, right. Like we're not Mm -hmm. getting blood tests. And so it's not like I can like look at your blood glucose level or sugar level and like diagnose you with diabetes or something like that. I get Mm -hmm. that it's, it's hard for people to grasp. And like, we have a lot of shame, I think around not feeling like we have mental fortitude or resilience. And Uh so I think people confuse the fact that like you actually can have a lot of resilience and like a lot of mental fortitude, but also suffer from panic attacks Mm -hmm. and anxiety. Um, And now let's hear a word from our sponsor. Here at The Sister Project, mental health is our number one priority. Which is why we are particularly excited about this episode's sponsor, Meridian Psychiatric Partners, LLC. Meridian Psychiatric Partners is a Chicago-based private practice comprised of psychiatrists and therapists who specialize in women's health. Ladies, listen up. Meridian treats and supports women experiencing mental health symptoms that may be affected by all of the reproductive phases women might experience. Their services include medication management and psychotherapy for preconception, pregnancy, postpartum and breastfeeding, infertility, pregnancy loss, premenstrual symptoms, and perimenopause. Wow, we go through a lot. You know, I remember after I had Luna, I needed help. 
I was three months postpartum, extremely anxious, and battling intrusive thoughts on a daily basis. I am beyond grateful that practices like Meridian exist so new moms like myself can get the help we need. And I'm equally thrilled to know that while I enter into perimenopause, Meridian Psychiatric Partners is there for support. Meridian is dedicated to empowering women to have treatment options while experiencing mental health challenges that can arise during different reproductive phases. They have 20 providers with expertise in reproductive mental health, which means you can be seen fairly quickly, which is amazing. If you would like to know more about Meridian, find them online at meridianpsychiatricpartners.com and to make an appointment, call their intake line at 312-640-7743. This podcast is sponsored by CHT Orthodontics. When I was 15 years old, a boy I was crushing on told me his big brother thought I was cute. My awkward self was overjoyed. I thought, finally, someone thinks I'm cute. His brother's exact words were, your little friend with the buck teeth, sure is cute. The only two words I heard in that statement were buck and teeth, and in an instant, my heart sank. Not to worry, after nine full teeth and a couple of years of braces, bands and headgear, my self-esteem was reinstated. Those braces changed my life and turned my biggest insecurity into my greatest asset. I've smiled with confidence ever since. This is why I am so excited about our sponsor, CHT Orthodontics, located right here in downtown Hinsdale, Illinois, where their mission is to help their patients to achieve their own dream smiles. From braces tailored for children and adolescents to Invisalign solutions for adults and teenagers, CHT's goal is to make the journey easy and fun and ultimately help their patients obtain the confidence and happiness that comes with a beautiful smile. CHT's friendly team provides a welcoming environment that makes you feel right at home. You'll love it there. Dr. Carey and Dr. Ami pride themselves on being the top choice for braces and Invisalign in the Western suburbs. Personally, CHT is my family's top choice for braces for both of my kids. The staff is warm, the office is hip, and my kids are just months away from achieving the smile of their own dreams. Go to www.chtortho.com and schedule your appointment today. Stay cozy and smile. And now back to our cozy conversation. And, you know, like I'm actually a really big sports person and I bring this up to a lot of my patients. I'm like athletes coming out and talking about this, I think is the best thing that has happened for mental health because those are people that have an amazing amount of resilience, an amazing Mm. amount of mental fortitude that are doing hard things, you know, that not everyone can do. Just like a lot of us do hard things that like not everyone can do. But, you know, for them to then come out and say like, I was having recurrent panic attacks. I'm like, I needed to seek treatment for that. Despite the fact that like I made it to the MBA, like that's huge. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I often remind people of that. And I think that helps. I can't say a ton of my patients are like sports (laughs) aficionados but like I think the concept yes NFL yeah (laughs) but I think the concept makes sense like I think a lot of people are like you're right like you know this is someone on a world stage that is like doing things that take a lot of courage and fortitude and for them to also come out and say like I can do this but also have anxiety is so helpful because I think it's so similar like I'll tell people like to me it's like if you had pneumonia, like I had pneumonia in college and I had to, I couldn't take one of my finals. I was so sick. Um, and like, nobody questioned it. Like nobody was like, I can't uh-huh. believe right. you didn't have the mental fortitude to like sit down and take your final cause you had pneumonia. Right. Um, 
And I was like, but can you imagine if I said I had like recurrent panic attacks and that like, that's why I couldn't take that final? People would, would be have like, questions. Yeah, they totally. would have go, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, or like, right, yeah, right. Hard yeah. And then it makes you feel and more painful. Yeah. Prove it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> prove yeah. It. <laughs> okay. okay. But sorry. And so I really, really got into tangent there. But yeah, so anxiety is much more fear-based. Um, and we tend to see it related in terms of like irritability, insomnia, um, certainly in like really severe cases, things like panic attacks. And a lot of people tend to feel it really physically. So like chest tightness, heart racing, yes. um, you know, like feeling more nauseous or so lower appetite typically, you know, that that's typically how anxiety tends to present. Okay. OCD is actually distinct Here from anxiety, go. even though people reasonably feel like they're on a, on a spectrum, but it's yeah. actually a little bit different. So, you know, OCD stands for obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, what that is are, so the obsessions part of it are, are intrusive thoughts. So what, are, and what an intrusive thought is like an unwanted thought or urge or impulse that kind of floods your brain. Um, that is very, what we say, ego dystonic. So like against anything mm. that you actually want to see or engage in. Yes. So like in That's postpartum, yeah, yeah. So like, unfortunately in postpartum, the most common content for intrusive thoughts is what we call aggressive content. So like accidental harm coming to baby and so like a a lot of people will describe and i'm I'm happy and if if everyone's cool i've shared it in our podcast before but i shared those thoughts with you before in that conversation saying that those were the kind of thoughts that i was having which are very shame-based like like you feel so shameful you feel scared to be or i'll say i i felt very I feel scared if those come up. They've just des- they've definitely dissipated. But I actually went not not that long ago, um, about a month where I felt like they were almost like peaking a little bit. And I was like, what the fuck? And I was like, okay, I need to actually like call a partner for an appointment now. Um yeah. I feel like get this part is like I was honestly like getting like pretty worried about it. And um yeah. And it's these thoughts that are so, I would almost prefer just to deal with my health anxiety, which I was working on and getting treated for. And then you have these like OCD and uh, we were, where I was working with and who I was working with, we, we did definitely refer to them as intrusive thoughts. Yeah. Um, I, 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 we didn't touch on OCD. I don't know why, but that's what I feel like maybe more or less what I've dealt with a lot as well. So if I'm to diagnose myself, I probably suffer from postpartum anxiety and OCD disorder. Yeah. Which is not like uncommon to have both, you know, and I agree. I think OCD is heavily underdiagnosed and heavily um, undervalued. Like, I don't think yes. that there's a lot of conversation about it. And because there is some confusion between like what psychosis looks like and what OCD right. looks like, I so, think a lot of women are very afraid to be forthcoming about their oh, I, I can't okay. even tell you how on the nail you yeah. hit. Feeling hurt? Oh my God, because yeah. that's the thing. I remember when I shared one of my thoughts that I had with my other sister, Nicole, and I was like crying. I'm like, I feel like I'm like scared to share this with you, but I have to yeah. tell someone. Um, I even remember when I told my husband the first time I felt like they're going to lock me up. Like this is not yeah. a good thing to be feeling or having this this thought. So mm-hmm. can we do two things? Because I'm, a lot of our listeners, we've got a lot of like 40-year-old new moms listening in. Yep. I know this for a fact. Um, so I was wondering if you can, first of all, talk about why do these intrusive thoughts happen? I still can't sure. understand why those pop in. If you can take the lead there, I'd love to learn about this. Yes. To be fair, I I, I don't think we have a great understanding of like just 
why this happens from a pathophysiological perspective. I think there's like a lot of theories. Of course, the hormone shift is like a big contributor to like why it's so disruptive for mind and body. Um, And that's why like pregnancy, but particularly postpartum tends to be a very vulnerable time for either like new onset of depression, anxiety, OCD, or um, worsening. So like exacerbation of like maybe pre-existing, you know, depression, anxiety, or OCD. And so, um, you know, the other piece of that conversation that I I wanted to say is like, so the obsessions part is the intrusive thought, but then there's also like potentially a compulsive aspect to it. So like compulsions tend to be like a repetitive behavior that people engage in to get rid of that thought, right? So like, that could be avoidance things like, you know, like if your intrusive thought is specifically like, this is sad, but like some people just have intrusive thoughts every time they're cutting, like in the kitchen. Aparna, and like, I, that's yeah. me. Okay. Yeah. Me. So I yes. was having, a, I would have intrusive thoughts and I shared yeah. this with Lauren when I'd be, I'd be walking, uh, uh, crossing a busy street uh, yep. in the city. And I would be thinking that I'm going to get struck by the by next car. vehicle yes. that comes yep. when I put my That's foot. a really common one. Yeah. Oh, really? And so people avoid, right? So like we, we kind of think of like, oh, there, there's like a strong avoidance there, but like another common intrusive that can often be contamination related. So whether it's like concerned about, just germs or germs poisons hurt. or whatever. And so like a ton of washing oh. that is now becoming pathological. Right? There's, there's a lot of how, presentations. How um, do you avoid the night? But the, the one you said about like when people are cutting things, are people like avoiding cutting? Like they're just avoiding cooking. Right. So like, I'll have oh, I come in and they're like, well, I'm that. not. <laughs> yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah. I'm still but cooking. Like, and, but know, when like, I'm sometimes when I am yeah. cutting things though, Aparna, I yeah. have these intrusive thoughts. Yeah. yeah. And I actually think, so, you know, a, a huge difference because anxiety and OCD can often feel somewhat similar. And, you know, a big difference I try to explain to patients is, you know, when we think about OCD, I used this term earlier, it's more ego dystonic, right? So like, these are thoughts that you have no desire to engage in. Um, yep. right? They and just keep rearing like, their ugly head. And they're terrifying. They actually yeah, induce really, really anxiety. And, they, yeah. and then they anxiety. And they can anxiety. be very distressing. Yes. Whereas an anxiety, like from like a generalized anxiety perspective or like, you know, postpartum anxiety perspective, even though it creates distress, like nobody likes to be anxious. To some degree, part of our brain has rationalized that like it's productive to be anxious, if that makes sense. So like totally. when we think about anxiety, like it's like, all right, somebody with anxiety is trying to decide like, okay, how am I going to get me and my kids out the door at 8am? And so like, they are going through all of the machinations in their brain of like how to optimize that. Right. And like, and that's why I say like anxiety in particular is a tough one because it's very adaptive. It helps mm-hmm. us be successful. It helps us do hard yes, things. It can push you. Um, yes. And so like, it's, it's what we actually call ego syntonic. It like oh. can be helpful. Um, however, pathologic anxiety is when we've kind of passed into a threshold where like, it's clearly now interfering with sleep and functionality and mm. conversations and patients. And, um, you know, like that, that wow. there's a time for treatment, but like, that's like the big distinction between, you know, anxiety and OCD. And then just to close out the conversation, cause I'd brought up the term postpartum psychosis. I know that comes well, up on people's I'm minds. curious about that because yeah. I have followed several stories in the mm-hmm. news when they come up. Um, I will follow them because they're just so sad. And what I see there is a, that some, that like a failed, something failed this woman. That's how I look at it. And these are, for our listeners, we're talking about women who have harmed their children um, because they were suffering from 
postpartum maybe things, but also psychosis. And um, it's such a heartbreak when you read these comments of people that say things like, oh, she doesn't deserve to be a mother or what a monster. I'm thinking this poor fucking woman is sick. Yeah, really not being treated right, or she's not being treated, or she's not speaking up because she's scared to. And it's a horrible thing that happens. But it really, I feel like it's someone is like the medical, I don't know, I just feel like she's been failed. Not and she, it's just a very sad situation. But I am curious about psychosis, because um, how do like, when does one find themselves like at that point? And is it usually that like doctors can notice it themselves? And they're like, okay, we need to like, intervene immediately. This is a great question. The, I think the hard part about postpartum psychosis is it's it's very rare. Um, and so it's harder to study than even mm-hmm. like depression or certainly anxiety or even OCD. Um, you know, but what it is, it tends to present in the early parts of postpartum typically. Um, so it's usually like in the first 10 to 30 days, I would say postpartum. And what it is, is a combination of multiple symptoms that can include delusional thoughts. So, um, you know, paranoia that like something is actually wrong with the baby or, and like concern, like hyperreligiosity. There's a lot of different types of things. The key to psychosis of different from OCD is that it doesn't cause distress, right? Like, I think that's like where we get concerned. You know, if somebody's telling me like, Hey, I'm having this intrusive thought and it's really bothering me. I have no desire to engage with it. Like that is a OCD spectrum, right? Whereas like, if someone's telling me like, I'm concerned, there's like something off about my kid, how they look, whatever it is. And then, I don't know, you know, and like, I feel like I need to do this type of ritual sacrifice to save that or whatever it is. Not it, yeah. Like, yeah. And that's yeah. Really, These stories are like, yeah. Yeah. Like feeling really like this is the right path. Like wow. that's oh. my concern of like, okay, that sounds a little bit more psychotic. And like, it tends to be accompanied by a lot of other symptoms. So of like course. a lot of disorganized thinking, possible like hallucinations. Okay. Yeah, um, some like cognitive severe. function. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, and so Typically, you would hope like we would be able to discern it. And like the thing about postpartum psychosis, it is the only presentation postpartum that does increase risk for infanticide. So unfortunately, like, you know, yes. um, killing killing like baby. And so yeah. that is why it's, it is the only time where it's like, it's unequivocally a time where you're like, we have to hospitalize you for, yeah. for your safety and for the safety of the baby yes. so that we can get you treated quickly. Um, whereas like postpartum OCD, that's not the case, right? Like we don't yeah. have to hospitalize and it's mostly something you can treat an outpatient, but understandably so many people are afraid to talk about right. um, their symptoms because they don't want to be separated and, and they're not sure. And you see these really concerning things come up in the news and it can be hard. Um, I love that you shared that though, because I think that's what stops a lot of women from speaking up is that they are actually yeah. scared that someone's going to be like, all right, go get the straight jacket. Um, she's having these intrusive thoughts. And it's like, mm, well, right. actually, when we get to learn a little bit more about what happens to our mental health after we have a baby or at any yes. time during then our you're more, shifts, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm clearly suffering from some sort of something. And mm-hmm. now that I've I'm a little bit more empowered with knowledge. I can reach out and feel safe in doing so and not feel like you're going to be locked up. Yes. You know, and even if that is for their own safety or the safety of others, understandably, if they're suffering from psychosis and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But when we have these other illnesses that we're not suffering from or experiences that we're not um, going to be, you know, separated from our family from, but we can get help and start feeling better and the quality of life increases. It's Mm -hmm. like, but that's the thing. That's why I didn't, I didn't say anything for a long time because I was yeah. so scared. Yeah. Um, and even the, the health anxiety that I was suffering from, I was it, super embarrassed, 
but also yeah. felt kind of real too. You know, like yeah. this is a real disease that I have. Now I'm going to die. And my baby's going to be left alone. Yep. Um, you know, I can't even get over how much we've learned in just a 45 minute conversation mm-hmm. about women's health stuff that we didn't even know <laughs> 45 minutes ago. Um, I had a yeah. question in regards to um, how one can find. So when it comes to, I'd love to hear this actually from you, Aparna, because I feel like people struggle with like, you know, finding the right provider. And that's what I, that's what we hear a lot from actually people will write into us because we'll share our therapy experiences and someone will write in and be like, I had a therapist. I didn't like them. So I haven't gone. And I don't feel like going through the struggle bus of finding a new one as a psychiatrist and a a person that works with other counselors or works with counselors and um, psychologists. What is the best way for someone to search for a provider going beyond just if their insurance is taken, but like finding the right human to connect with? Yeah. I actually think this is a really important question because I I do think people feel bad when they um, haven't found the right fit. And I actually do think fit is really important, particularly when you're doing mental health, you know, like same. I have a lot of patients who like, I have a good relationship with my patients and, um, that is a little distinct than maybe like their relationship with their primary care doctor or their relationship with their cardiologist. Right. And and that's okay. Like, I think every field works a little bit differently. And, mm-hmm. um, I do think that is actually important because so I, I do want people to hear that and not feel bad about maybe like looking around. Sometimes it may be more on like the patient end of like, okay, maybe our expectations are a little bit out of the scope of what we can get, but, um, not always, you know, I think in terms of actually finding a good fit for you, that's tricky. I mean, I feel like, um, personally, just like totally personally, I would do it. I would, I would do it really on word of mouth. Um, I, Oh, great. Which I know sounds like my therapist. No, that's how I found a therapist. I share with a friend of mine. I, like I have, I've always been very insistent on this for like myself. Like I really believe in like my brand individually. And of course, like Meridian as a practice, I'm like really, really proud to like be representing them. But I have always felt very strongly, like I have to represent my brand really mm-hmm. well. Um, and people buy into that. They respect it. And, you know, like that's how you build your practice. And, you know, you attract patients that like want to work with someone like to like you as well, which is nice. And so I feel like honestly, a lot of my referrals for a while have truly been word of mouth, whether it was like a patient told a therapist who then, you know, like, or like I had collaborated with a therapist and they like me or a patient told, you know, a colleague or a friend or something like that. And to me, that is probably the best way to find like someone yeah. that is going to be a good fit. Michelle, of course, I think, well, like, I think once that, you, oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I think that's good advice. And I also think that that leans into inspiring people to talk more yes. about what they're going through, yeah, and who have conversations about what's going on with you, with your lady friends, with your tribe, with your husband, your partner, your spouse, whatever. And that will then, then what happens is, is when you, I always say this, I talk about everything. I probably <laughs> talk too much about certain things, but what I find out is when I talk about things, learn I learn sure. and I also get connected with people and f- stumble upon the person that is like an essential game changer in my experience or one of my family members experience. So I think that's great advice. I think that's great yeah. advice. But and you know what I was going to say, sorry, is like, no, go ahead. if somebody happens to meet with me first and like, don't have a therapist, which isn't as common, like, I feel like I tend to get pe- referrals from people yeah. who like, didn't want to be on medication, like started working <laughs> with a therapist. And then we're like, okay, I think I need to consider, but, you know, but like, 
sometimes I really do just meet people first. And that's helpful too. Cause like, if you got my name for whatever reason, from a word of mouth and like, I have therapists that like, I, I know, and like, you know, like, yes, that can also help. But yeah, I'm a pretty big fan of like word of mouth. Cause I think, okay. I think people having ownership in their brand is really, really important. <laughs> it's very important. Another th- thing I was thinking about, and I don't know if you guys have this, um, but does, does, your division have any sort of like, is there like some sort of like support group for women going through these hormonal changes? That is such a good question. Right now, our group does not. We are okay. actually in the process of a really cool project that I don't think I can speak to. Okay, fully, well, we will stay tuned. We will we will stay tuned. Okay, yeah, yeah we, will, we will share, we will share with you. Um, that I think will be really, really impactful and like provide a lot of education and information and support for like possibly expectant parents essentially. And that I'm really excited about. So that is to be coming, but we certainly have um, plans to hopefully have support groups at our own practice in the future. And there are some other perinatal practices that do have support groups that like we often will refer people to that, you know, are good, like colleagues of ours. And then one of the last questions in regards to the conversation here, before we end up with the questions for like cozy convos, um, being the medical director of the reproductive psychiatry division at Meridian, I was wondering what your favorite part of the job is. Well, I feel like I have two answers. Um, I think so. I think my favorite part of it is that it's helped me in terms of like building community at Meridian Mm -hmm. um, within like those interested with working in like the women's wellness, reproductive mental health space. Mm -hmm. Um, You can feel that community. I think we started the conversation out that way that like, it is nice to join a practice that has a lot of interrelationships and communication, right. Between prescribers and people that provide therapy because context is everything, right. Like, even though like I, primarily prescribed medications, you know, a big aspect of what I need to do is, is understand like what I'm treating Mm -hmm. and that requires a lot of conversation. And so whether that's collaboration with a therapist, of course, like getting history on my end, all of that. Um, so I have really, really, really valued like building that community and like building the level of like relationships that we are able to have and continue to have. Mm -hmm. Um, Honestly, my other favorite part has been doing things like this. I never in a million million years thought I would like be on social media. (laughs) Like, you know, doing these and it's really, really fun. Like it's it's hard to say it any other way. Like it's just it's it's kind of wild to see, you know, like when you go through the med school track, it's a very insulated bubble that is like very almost like surgical and you're just like doing your own thing and like training in a very rigorous academic setting. Um, and honestly, a big part of why I left academics and like wanted to be in private practice was because I love being a doctor. Like I really like working clinically. I like seeing patients. Um, it's my favorite thing, but to see how social media can like expand the reach, um, you know, is, is really remarkable. And it's cool to see medicine like tap into social media. Cause I tend to find like medicine, like we tend to be the very end of industries to like be taking on like tech and like new things, which I mean, makes sense. But um, yeah, it's, it's, I really like this part. (laughs) Well, we are glad that you like it because, and I do now that we're like catching up because we were introduced to you as a Parna, but I mean, you obviously, and I think in our, in our, in our bio, we already addressed you as doctor, but (laughs) I mean, I'm so sorry about, okay, good. Um, (laughs) You guys should only call me a (laughs) Parna. Okay. Well, right. It's a fine deal. Okay. Um, But, you know, I wanted to say in, in response to what you just said, Thank God that you like that part or goddess. We say saying thank goddess around here. Um, that you like coming on, 
you know, podcasts and spreading the good word of taking care of women's mental health, because like Michelle and I just kind of said earlier in the conversation, it's not something that's always talked about. And sometimes it's more talked about behind closed doors amongst, you know, best friends or a sister. And then it kind of stops there sometimes unless someone hears a podcast like this and then they're, you know, alone at someone's house and a friend of theirs is sharing with them their struggles and they say, oh my God, well, you know, I listened to this podcast and then it kind of keeps that ball rolling. So we're super grateful Mm -hmm. that you like this part of your job because yeah. we love having you here. Um, before we get um, how we are your contact info and how people can reach out to you and find you, we wanted to ask you two questions. We always ask any guest that joins us on Cozy Convos with the Sister Project. The first question is: If you are reading or watching anything that you think that our listeners might also be into, and it can be outside of the genre of women's mental health and whatnot. <laughs> I know I saw this question, but it doesn't like, have to be. But also. it doesn't have to be. That's don't limit yourself. Yeah, don't. <laughs> um, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely not doing anything like that in <laughs> in the women's mental health genre. So it would definitely be out. <laughs> um, I was laughing at answering that question because the NBA season just started. And I was like, I feel I like I love your like, sports love. Oh, Wait, you're, a sports, you're a sports junkie, aren't you? That's I'm why really I'm a soccer freak. I'm obsessed yeah. with women's soccer. And I wasn't as, to be fair, I wasn't a sports fan prior to meeting my husband. <laughs> like okay. I was like really into art and I still am like love the ballet and all of that. But like, um, he's from Cleveland and he's like a very, so like is that the, just the Celtics. Who's, well, who's, who's oh. Cleveland's NBA oh, I love in that. Boston? I, that, I'm oh. dying. I, I am a huge Celtics fan because I went to college in Boston. So I love that you just said that, but no, it's the Cavs. <laughs> and like, that's who my husband was <laughs> Listen, I'm not a sports nut. This is, so no, surprising. Fair, fair. I'm so I was surprised by I this. That question because I was like, I feel like when, especially when the NBA season starts, that's like what our house watch. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're doing that's NBA. what we're doing. But I, I have a recommendation which isn't going to sound amazing because it's like such a popular show. But I recently just finished Succession, and oh, it is hands we're down here for the it. best show I've ever watched. Ever. Okay, yes. wait, so and who, I watched some, I watched some good TV, and like that was hands down good. the best show I've ever watched. <laughs> Who's your favorite character? In oh, Succession? that's so easy, Kendall Roy. I know, which, which people don't. No, are people surprised. get mad at me when I say kind of think he's hot sometimes. I was rooting so for him weird, the whole time, and my college, my college roommates, we still have a thread, and we still text every day. And my <laughs> one of my college roommates was like very concerned. She was like, "Wait, what? Like Why nobody we- roots for anybody on this show?" I know, right? I know, they're like, so bad. I know, but I was rooting for but people. Can't such look a away. Good show. I'm glad you so finished such it. Good show, great character development. It's funny. Like you it's watch so it. funny. The <laughs> dynamic between the siblings, and I think it's that's so what funny. I connected yeah. with too is just a lot of personality big family all that stuff their banter back oh, and forth i was like so what they're it's finish so a sentence a thought connect yes. what are we doing well if you like and, a, yeah oh, oh i was just like my favorite part too was like they capture the like the the I don't know. They capture the essence of like what it is to build an empire and what what the pressure can be on like the next generation uh-huh. in a very like reasonable way. Uh-huh. Like if they didn't reduce people to tropes, right? And like that, I really appreciate it. I was like, mm-hmm. you did a good job. <laughs> I'm so glad you watched. That's a good one. And if you like shows like that, I don't know if you've watched it, but you strike me as someone who might enjoy the bear. 
oh, I've been hearing about this. And oh, I okay, it. okay, so, there okay. you go. That's for you. I've Next um, on the list. Okay, Anna. that's yeah. So because good. if you like good TV, this is good stuff. Season oh, two is better than season one, but agreed. Let but us they're know. both good. And then how we end every conversation here at Cozy Conversations is Michelle and I always like to share what we're doing to just kind of upkeep on our cozy, mindful well-being. And we were wondering if you are doing anything you'd like to share with us and our listeners. Yes. I also laughed when I saw this. I have two answers. One <laughs> is this is the first year that my husband's friend enjo- invited me to their final fantasy like uh oh my god I, this oh is my so god good. this a part of this wait, so this is wait this is like a final so this is for basketball yeah yeah my husband's in like a fantasy football league every every year that i feel like i hate because it like ruins watching games because he's like I know, they're against. on their phones looking at their things yeah so i never want to be part of that but i love i love basketball there's something about it that is so fun and his friends like from college i had met them a year ago and like or like i met them for a long time but like we were talking about basketball and then they just texted us and were like you want to join us like absolutely <laughs> and i'm like loving it thus far like it's so fun so oh, like that one is it but the one I wanted to really give a shout out to because I really love this um, fitness channel. Um, her name is it's Body Fit by Amy that like people may be or may or may not be aware of her. She's amazing. I actually have found her like so many years ago, like probably back in 2018 or 2019 um, when she wasn't as big as she is now. But she is by far my favorite fitness expert to really? follow. She has a bunch of free videos on YouTube and like okay. has a free community and she's I, I like her because she's very um psychologically minded and like how she approach fit, approaches mm-hmm. fitness she always uses the phrase like be where you are today she actually does a lot of prenatal and postpartum uh-huh. um exercises and is like impregnant in a lot of her videos which is really cool to see uh-huh. and like she's just great like she does she's not there for you to be like sexy or tone like which I never like like she's just there for you to feel good yeah, um and to feel strong yes. and I love her well, that's <laughs> body, great share. Fit, body fit yeah. by Amy yeah body fit by Amy she's beautiful great. yeah okay in case people don't want to join like a fantasy basketball league <laughs> <laughs> just do body fit by, by Amy instead of yeah. joining the I, lo- I didn't even know that there were fantasy leagues for NBA um, Lauren, there's a fantasy league for every for sport. Yeah, literally <laughs> every sport. Really, I, had no I think everything. She's right. right. No, I know. It's, it's, gonna... it's totally fair. I had no interest in sports. Like anyone that knows me is still baffled by this. But to my husband's credit, he like really did a good job of like getting <laughs> me excited about it. And then like the way my brain works is like the minute I'm like my interest is peaked, I want to be the expert. So then mm-hmm. I started like researching and like following like ESPN like, like okay. all of these things because okay. I like to compete and so <laughs> you take it to the next level Aparna I want to challenge you to like take a little bit of a peek into the women's soccer world they are so, so awesome and so I fun think to follow I'm with you this has been this has been brewing I'm currently watching the Beckham documentary which is oh great which I know is not God. women's soccer but like but it's, it's really great amazing yeah. Um, but like, women's soccer obsessed. has been something I'm so proud of because, like, I feel like women's sports where I follow the most are like gymnastics and, and ice skating, but the women's soccer team has been on my mind, you know, and they're doing amazing oh, things. For, they're doing for amazing, women's sport. and yeah. then, I guess women's tennis too. I love them, but and they're just yeah. fun to watch, and they're just they're everything aside off the field, their style, their swagger, yes. their yeah. store, everything. They really are like, they're so like hot they're like try. they're movie stars, but they yeah, they're, like, they're ballers. They are ballers. I mean, I watched them in the World Cup, but I, I'm with you. I think I need to like 
I'll share some handles that you need to follow on Instagram. (laughs) That will get you in hook, line, and singer. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Oh my God, I love it. Arparna, thank you so much for joining us um, this afternoon. Um, We know that we can find Meridian at meridianpsychiatricpartners.com. I obviously can, we're going to link you, your bio straight to that so people can find you there. And they can also find you on Instagram. We will have everything in the show notes. Is there any other thing or way that we can tell people to find you specifically? Yeah, we're also on Facebook. So perfect for that platform, they can follow us there too. Awesome. This was an incredible conversation. I have learned so much and I'm eager to learn so much more. So hopefully this is not the last time that we see you on Cozy Convos. This was awesome. Um, Thank you so much for joining us, Aparna. And as always, listeners, you know what to do. Stay cozy, everybody. Fun fact. Did you know that I actually hate filling my car up with gas? I don't. Seriously, you didn't know that? No. Oh my Lord. It's I'm a total avoider. I am the queen of running on empty. Running on empty. I actually have a friend <laughs> who I share the same disdain with over ex- and we exchange photos of our gas gauges when they're on E. Oh, that's an interesting text message. But Michelle, what is the point of your story? Ah, that's right. My point. Okay. I don't think I had one. Oh, well, yeah, I did. All right. <laughs> I will say since we're on the topic of automobiles, I actually love going to our local neighborhood auto repair shop for all of my maintenance, oil changes, digital inspections, the whole bit. The name of my spot is called Vapel Auto Repair, and it's right here in LaGrange Park. It's one of the most lovely, friendly, inviting places I have ever had my car serviced. Wow. Well, Vapel Auto sounds like a dream come true, but I need you to tell me a bit more about this digital inspections you speak of. I would love to. Digital inspections are super cool. This is where the mechanics take photos and videos of the areas specifically concerned within your vehicle so the customer can see exactly what's going on under the hood. Okay, I appreciate this so much because I don't have a clue what's going on underneath Yeah, (laughs) you and me both. Not only is Vapel Auto an independent, family-owned and operated auto repair shop, Vapel is a NAPA-approved auto care center. However, the part I love most about the Palo Alto is that you are actually invited to snuggle up in their cozy waiting room and sip on a hot beverage while you wait for your car's service to be completed. Doesn't that sound delightful? An auto shop that is cozy too? Oh my God, Vapel Auto sounds like my kind of auto repair shop. Listener, if you are local or live near the west suburbs of Chicago and in need of a reputable mechanic that cares about your car and your cozy, mindful well-being, then schedule an appointment at VapelAuto.com or call 708-352-8800. Thank you for joining us for today's cozy conversation. For more of The Sister Project, check us out on Instagram at at the sister Proj and our website, www.thesisterprojectblog.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and maybe even drop us a review. Until next time, stay cozy. Stay cozy.